not messianic. But God chose this scene, the messiest scene imaginable, to send his perfect son to save us from our own mess. And it was the perfect plan. You see, without the baby in the manger, there would be no Savior on a cross. Today we celebrate both the mess and the perfection of the birth of our Lord. In spite of our mess, God so loved the world that he came as a baby to save it. We celebrate the perfect birth of a perfect baby who lived a perfect life so that in him we could be made perfect. Today we celebrate the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Today we celebrate Jesus. We're uh, glad to see you here, glad that it's not snowing. And I just want to remind you that um, we're trying to do this all in an hour this morning, so pray that I can actually preach in 30 minutes. Um, that would be a miracle in itself. But uh, we also want to invite you down to our brunch after this service for about an hour and a half, and please come. Um, there are people that you sit amongst that you don't know, and they don't know you, and we want to change that, and we can't change that unless we get together. So please come. Uh, and Lori, remind me, remember you check the Christmas card table downstairs as well. Um, you probably have cards down there. You know, we've been talking about a purpose in the series. We've been going on for, for a while. Um, and our fourth purpose is really becoming a servant. We were formed to be servants. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about that this morning. But it really lines up with Christmas. You know, it, it's, as a pastor, you know, Christmas can be a tough time to preach because, you know, you, you think, okay, man, how many ways can I preach this, and let me find a, find, find, you know, a way to communicate this, but you know, one of the things about Christmas is, is much like the video we just watched, that when I really think about Christmas, and I really think about what happened, and how it happened, um, it is messy. Uh, there's really nothing simple about it, and as we really look and study the circumstances, you know, the circumstances that Jesus came in, the situation that he chose to make his appearance in from his location, from the time and how he did it. I mean, again, you know, he came into a very, in a very busy time, really where there wasn't time for him, there wasn't room for him. You know, we talk about the innkeeper, but man, you know, they were busy. They were needed to be pregnant at that time. Uh, again, being born to, 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 to a virgin. Uh, and so everything about it was incredibly complicated and, and messy. And no matter how much we try and clean this up, no matter how, how much our, our perfect manger scenes are there, the fact is you really can't clean this up. You know, and there are different arguments that really don't really matter. Was he born in a cave? Was he born in a stable? Was he born in a courtyard? It, it doesn't really change anything. The fact is that he was born in a place that a king shouldn't have been born. And he was born in a manger, and, and no matter how much you scrub or disinfect a food trough, I don't think any of you want your child's first place to be in that food trough. And so you can't clean this up. And yet Jesus knew all of this. And this is where God chose for his son, his perfect son, the king of kings, to come and make his first appearance into the world and into lives and also into our lives because as we look at this story of how Jesus came, 
really we see a, a better glimpse, and, and if we really look at the circumstances, we can really get a better understanding of Jesus, who he is, how, how he is, his character, and also why he came. And so as we look at this, we see this amazing king coming into the craziness and the busyness of life. And with Jesus, you know, with his birth comes love, joy, and peace, and yet at the same time with him comes criticism and rejection, and with him comes persecution. I mean, we have to think about what Mary went through, you know, uh, the excitement of, of what she was told and how Jesus is, is being born to her, and it is honor, but with this, this presence of Jesus in her life is going to come criticism from other people, all the talking, hey, you know, what is this young lady doing, and what kind of a moral life is she living, and, and with Jesus is this joy and peace, but with him comes the criticism, and with him comes rejection. And in all of this, as we look at how Jesus came, 2,000 years later, he still makes his appearance in the same kind of circumstances, doesn't he? I mean, 2,000 years later, that same picture of, of what we see when Jesus first made his appearance in this world is really how he makes his appearances into our lives. I mean, he comes into our lives in the most unsanitary conditions, doesn't he? I mean, that's where he tends to show up. And he shows up in the messiness of our lives. He shows up sometimes in the busyness where, man, we don't even have room for him we don't have time for him, yet this is exactly how he chooses and when he chooses to show up in our lives, and it's actually when we need him the most. So yes, it's into our mess that he came 2,000 years ago. It's into our messes today that he still comes, and we don't have time to clean. You know, it's interesting, one of, the, one of the things that you constantly hear is people go, well, when I get my life together... When I do this, when I'm clean enough, when I'm good enough, you know, then I'll, I'll accept Christ. And you really just miss the point when you get to that point. When you try and clean up, listen, you can never scrub a food trough and make it clean enough for a baby, let alone the king of kings. You can never scrub and clean your life up enough to make it clean enough and welcoming enough to be a place where Jesus can walk into your life and go, well, there's just nothing to do here. It's all done. And, and, and the thought that we might be able to do that is really just disgusting to him. There's no way we can do it because if we think we can clean up and live a good enough life for Christ, it really negates his coming. So Jesus, he comes and he steps into our messes and with him into our messes, right? With him so many times, you know, it comes joy, it comes peace. With Jesus comes hope and with him comes a future and with him comes victory. But to have him and to hold him in your life is to love him, but also to have him and to hold him in your life and keep him comes sacrifice. And with Jesus, with the love and the joy and with the sacrifice comes rejection so many times. And with Jesus, with the love, and with the joy comes the criticism so many times. And with him, for some of us, comes persecution. 
man, you can look at your lives and you can go, man, man, that picture of Jesus coming into this world, really, in, in, in the circumstances that he was born, really is a picture of how he showed up in my life. I, 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 I know how messed up my life was. And man, I, I, it was just, I just really don't want anyone seeing me in this mess, yet it's in that mess that Jesus came, and man, he began to clean things up in a way that I couldn't, and, and it was just wonderful, but then then people around me started looking at me and judging me and being, being critical of me. And, and the, you know, sometimes in life, man, you don't have to say anything about Jesus in your life for people to look at you and go, oh, you're one of those guys. You think you're better than me. I never said that. I never said that. Yeah, yeah well, we just know you're thinking that. And so, and, but this is true. You know this is true. This happens. Oh, you're one of them. Because with him, you, you, you come a sacrifice. With him, you leave some behaviors behind. You leave some friendships and some acquaintances, and you, and you step away from them because you know it's not what God would have from you. You leave certain lifestyles behind, and when you leave these things behind, will come criticism and will come persecution. And so at that point in your life, you, you're at this point with, man, do I want the love of Christ, and do I want him in my life, or do I want the acceptance of other people, because with them comes criticism and persecution and rejection, as well as joy and love and victory and peace. And there are many of you sitting in this room right now who are going, yeah, I'm in that right now. And some of you, it was with your own family members. And so it's messy when Jesus comes, his birth into into this world and his birth into our lives. It's messy, but it's wonderful. And with him, we see this picture of God's love and this picture of God's purposes because Jesus was born with a purpose. You know, your life, your body, your circumstances, your lifestyle will never be clean enough. Will never be clean enough. You know, even now as Christians, we're constantly trying to be clean enough. Now, it's a good thing. We need to seek holiness, but we need to understand, too, that you will never be clean enough. We can't clean our houses enough. See, Jesus didn't come from heaven to step into a clean house. He stepped into our lives to clean our houses because we couldn't do it. That's why he came. And when we think that we can clean our house our houses or our lifestyles up enough to receive him, we're actually rejecting the whole reason why he came. We actually say, well, I didn't really need you because I've got this. I can handle this on my own. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said, man, the whole reason Jesus came was not to be served. He didn't come to get the welcome of a king. He came because we need him to come so he could fix things and clean things and help us because we were helpless. I was at a, a, a Rennie and I were actually at a Catalyst conference and Andy Stanley came out and I remember him asking this question. And it's probably 13,000 pastors and leaders in, in, in this room. And he said this, what do you do when you are the most important person in the room? What do you do when you have the, mo- the biggest title in the room? What do you do when you are the highest uh, ranking person or when you are the, the best known or when you make the most money, when you are the most important person in the room and you're meeting with people? 
What do you do? When I ask you this morning, how important are you? How important are you? It seems to me that, 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 that the older you get, the desire to be more important becomes stronger. Now, I want my position or my presence kind of to matter to mean something. I want to have a title. I, I want to have respect that comes with, with this title. I want people to go, you know, this person's been around the block a few times. Um, their wisdom means something. You know, oh, can we just can't wait till this person speaks and shares their thoughts because, you know, I've been through so much and I've done so. How important are you in your own mind? Church is full of important people. Ministries filled with important people. In fact, they're so important that God really can't use them because they're too important. They just are. They're too holy. They're too spiritual. They've been a deacon too long. They've been a pastor too long. I remember had a, a pastor, been a pastor for probably 40 years. He came up to me one day and he said, so when I was standing at the back of the line, people were eating, and he said, so when you don't understand your position as a pastor... And he said, you should be at the front of this line being served first. And it just, I just cringed inside. And I thought to myself, no, you don't understand your position after 40 years as a pastor. Your, your position as a pastor is not to be first. Your position as a pastor is to be last and to serve other people. That's, you know, but it's so easy for our importance, this desire to be important. Man, it's, it's fleshy. It's in all of us. I mean, if you're sitting there denying it, you're too important to realize it's about you. This isn't all of us. It's in me. There's this desire to go, man, I've been doing this, and, and I finally arrived. I want to be the best in this. I want, when I show up in this position, to go, man, I'm so glad this person is here. I mean, if you could choose where you would be born now, maybe knowing your title and what you've done, where would you choose to be born? Anybody opting for a barn? Are you too important for that? Am I too important for that? But here we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he says, no, that's where I'm going to be born because that's where I'm needed the most. So, so Andy Stanley asks this question. He says, what do you do when you're the most powerful man or woman in the room? And he paused for a second to let everybody think about it. I want to ask you to open your Bibles to John chapter 13, verses 3. And we'll go through 6. John chapter 13. Verses 3 through 6. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Very first verse, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things.
things under his power. Jesus is the most powerful person, God, and he's in that room, and he's sitting there with his disciples. Everything is under his authority. God has given it all to him. What do you do when you're the most powerful man in the room? What do you do when you have the biggest title, when you have the most degrees, when you have the most experience, when you have the biggest crowds coming to hear from you? What do you do? Jesus got up and he knelt down and he washed the people who were below him and he washed their feet. You know, it's interesting, and I love how Peter says, you know, Lord, you, you're not really going to wash my feet. He says, yeah, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. No, you, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says something very important. He says, unless I wash you, you'll have no part of me. And Jesus says, unless I come into your house and I clean your house, you can have no part of me. If you think your house is clean enough and I haven't cleaned it, you will not inherit my kingdom because unless I clean it, it won't be clean. So we see this and we go, man, this washing of feet that Jesus does, this was reserved for the servant, kind of like the lowest person, the lowest title, the lowest among any of them. This is reserved for them. This is what they should be doing. It's not what your guest of honor does, but we find Jesus taking on the most menial of tasks. And this is what Jesus did. Washing feet from helping children, fixing breakfast, serving and touching lepers. We see this repeated in Jesus' life. Nothing was beneath him because he came to serve. It wasn't in spite of his greatness that he did these things. It was because of it. It wasn't, although I'm great, although I have all power, although this is true of me, I'm going to do this. No, it's because I am God, because I am great, because I have all power, I will do these things. Now, in our culture, acting like a servant is not, it's not popular. I mean, the more people serve you, come on, the more you kind of feel like, man, it's nice to be in a position of, of, of honor, isn't it? It's nice to be recognized. It's nice to be served. It's nice to be taken care of. It's nice to be like, oh, now we're so glad you're here. And, and it's nice to have that kind of, 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 of you know, people thinking that way about you. And so in our hearts, in our flesh, this is what we desire. And in this world, your greatness in this world really can be measured by how many people actually serve you. How many people run after you. Do you have a driver? Do you have an assistant? Do you have people just serving you, making sure all your needs are taken care of? But Jesus measures greatness completely differently than the way the world measures greatness. He doesn't measure greatness in terms of how many people serve you. He doesn't measure greatness by your title or by your status. No, God determines your greatness by how many people you serve, how many people you lay your life down for. How many times you take your robe off and you kneel down and you wash the feet of people that are in a lower position than you? You know, mankind has been struggling with this for a long time. 
Uh, it's not just us in, in today's world, although we see it all over the place. I mean, it's, it's interesting that in even church magazines, you can have, hey, who, who has the biggest church? Who's growing the most? And who's the number one church? And who's the number one this? And who's the number one? And it's so contradictory to Scripture because it's just not what we should be running after. Yet it's just in he wants to be successful and everybody wants to have it. There's nothing wrong with being successful. It's what you do with it. But even 2,000 years ago, this struggle for greatness was alive and well even with the disciples. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. See, this isn't just taking place in denominations and Christian circles. It's not just taking place in local church leadership or among pastors. It took place with the disciples. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. So then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Life application commentary puts it this way. He says, basically, the Jews, like, well, the disciples, like, like most of the Jews, had the wrong idea of what Jesus was doing. They were waiting for him to establish his kingdom there on earth. They were waiting for him to free Israel from Rome's oppression. And as the disciples followed Jesus to Jerusalem, they thought this time was, 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 was approaching. Jesus would be inaugurating his kingdom And so they were eager to be in high positions. They were eager to be in places of of power. See, in in ancient royal courts, the persons chosen to sit at the right and the left hands of the king were the most powerful people in the kingdom. So James and and John were asking this, Hey, God, or Jesus, when you you have your kingdom, we, we... Whatever... Am I guessing up? All right, I'm going to go to a handheld... We good? All right. We want you to do whatever we ask. I love how they say that. God, you, you need to do whatever we ask you to do. Will you do that for us? And we want to be in the most powerful positions. Out of all of the 12 disciples, we just want you to put us in the powerful positions, right and left side. We want authority. We want recognition. We want power. We want these positions. And Jesus says to them, you don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink from the cup that I'm going to drink? Basically, can you handle, can you endure the suffering that, will, that I will endure in this lifetime? 
for the sake of others. Then he asked them, are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that he would face? Being, basically referencing being overwhelmed with suffering. Can, are you willing? You're, you're seeking these high positions. You're seeking, seeking power. You're seeking title. You're seeking all, seeking all of these things. But you're not looking at the big picture with those things. In order to have those things, there's a lot that comes before it. Jesus, the King of kings, Jesus, the most powerful of all, would endure a cross for us. He would be the biggest servant. And he says, so you want these places of, of position and power, but are you willing to have the places of sacrifice and the positions of the greatest servant? Because that's what you need to have. And I love the response. Oh, yes, we're good. We're good. And they would suffer. And they would sacrifice. See, it's a package deal. And later on in that passage, we see that the ten other disciples, they, they get indignant. They get very angry. They get upset. Why? Because, you know, they want these positions of power as well. And so Jesus explains to them this. He says, the difference between the kingdoms that you guys see in this world is this, is that the rulers and the high officials in this and earthly kingdoms lord it over their people. They exercise their authority. They demand submission. It's about them being served. He goes, there's a big difference between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom that, that in my kingdom and what I am establishing. See, Jesus says to them, his kingdom will not be set up with people who will lord it over others. Instead, the greatest person in the kingdom will be the greatest servant of all. And Jesus' life would be a picture of that wherever he went. That's why Scripture tells us whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for Christ's sake will find it. And it's only, as Barclay writes, with such an attitude that the disciples would be able to carry out the mission of sharing the gospel across the world. Only by being a servant will the real message of Jesus Christ be preached, spoken, lived and really seen. See, Jesus was this perfect example of a servant leader. He came to serve. The whole reason he came, the whole reason he was born, was to lay his life down and serve you and to serve me and to clean us. And he gave his life as a ransom for all of us. It's a message, honestly, that today we continue to fail in. We fail in it as, as pastors. We fail in it as deacons. We fail in it as just regular Christians. Because so many times we get upset when someone isn't serving us enough. You know? You ever find yourself in that position? I really expect this person to do this for me, and, and, and they haven't done it for me, and so now I'm upset. And a lot of times it's when we hold ourselves in too much of a high position. Maybe even in, in church leadership, we get to a point where we go, man, I really deserve this title. I really deserve this position. You know, what's sad is when you hear people and, and they say things, well, I, I, I did that years ago. I'm kind of done with that now. That was my time for serving. That, those were my rookie years. That's for someone else to do. Now, I'm really grateful to God that, 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 that Jesus doesn't have that attitude with us. You know, could you imagine if he said, you know, I came and healed the sick years ago. I've done that. That's, yeah, I'm done. Now, he says, the greatest among you must be the biggest servant. It's not about your life. 
He says, your greatness will not be measured by the title that you have. Your greatness will not be measured by the fact that you have 28,000 people in church on Sunday. Your greatness will not be measured by how many people serve you. Your greatness will not be measured by how many degrees are behind your name. Your greatness will not be measured by how many scripture verses you know, by how spiritual you think you are. Your greatness will not be measured by where you sit in the church. Your greatness will be measured by what you do for other people and how you lay your life down. Some of the greatest people that will be honored in, in the kingdom of God will be people that you've never even heard of. There will be people who live their lives out, basically not being recognized by many people, serving God in ways that no one seems to know or even care about, giving their lives for the most poor, broken, hurting people ever. And some of the people who I think are going to get to heaven, who think they're going to get all these accolades because they have the biggest churches and they have the biggest TV shows, are going to find themselves not so important because they've been chasing the wrong things. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about my position. It's not about my title. It's not about how many people come to this church. It is about how I lay my life down and how I serve. How I serve. The greatest among you need to be the biggest servant. I want to ask you, how important are you? How important am I? I ask you, who are you laying your life down? Because what we're celebrating really at Christmas is that Jesus came. He saw us in our mess, in our darkness. And he wasn't too important for us. He wasn't too spiritual for us. He wasn't too perfect for us. He wasn't at a place where, hey, you know what? You're too dirty. I can't go near you. I don't want to touch you. No, he touched those who were untouchable because he's looked at us and knew that we needed him desperately. And so he comes and and he lives this life and he's born into a mess. And everywhere he goes, he is touching those who are untouchable and he's healing people who, 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 who are rejected. I love the story of, of, of the Samaritan woman at the well. It just paints such another picture of Christ. I mean, as you look through his life, everywhere he goes, this is what he's doing. He's serving. He's loving. He's laying down his life. He's touching, and he's healing, and he's restoring, and he's accused of eating with tax collectors and sinners. And I'm grateful he's, he ate with tax collectors and sinners because that means he'll eat with you, and he'll eat with me. And so this is what he does and this is how he lives. And this is what Christmas is. He steps into the mess and he brings light into darkness. And he brings light in, into our dark worlds. And then we become important. And I don't want to become too important. I don't want to be demanding that I go first. I don't want to be demanding that, that I be honored this way or that way. Or I receive this kind of recognition. Maybe you aren't demanding it, but are you upset when you don't get it? Are you upset when you're not used? You know, Jesus said this in John chapter 12, verse 26. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the father, father will honor him. He says, wherever I am, he says, I basically, where was Jesus? He was with the lepers. He was with the tax collectors. He was with the sinners. He was with the prostitutes. He was with the people that were rejected. He was serving. He was washing. He says, those who follow me will be right with me. 
They'll be right with me in their thought process. They'll be right with me in their hearts. They'll be right with me in their actions. They'll be right with me in their love. He says, those are the ones who follow me. So the question this morning is, as we look at Jesus, I think we have to ask ourselves at Christmas time, am I really where he is? Am I with him in those things? Am I with him in the dirt? Am I with him with the people who are struggling? Am I with him? Am I serving how he served? Because Christmas, this is what Christmas is. To follow him is to be where he is. Two thousand years ago, Jesus came and he was born and he gave his life to clean up our lives and to set us free and to bring us life. This Christmas, I hope you celebrate that. I want to encourage you. Some of you are serving in places, and I know some of you, you know, I, as the pastor, we, and the pastors, we get recognition all the time. You know, we get recognition. People say thank you. People give us cards. And if some of you are serving, and, and maybe you feel overlooked, I want to say that God does not see you as being overlooked. God sees everything that you're doing. You may be serving in the most obscure position. You may feel like no one seems to care, no, and, and no one notices. God notices what you're doing, and God cares. Some of our greatest people in this church, they're teaching our kids downstairs. They're not here on the platform. They're serving their hearts out. They're working, and they're working, and they're working. So I want to encourage those of you who are working, and maybe you're working in obscure places, maybe you're doing some things, God sees what you're doing. And the other of us in here, too, that we have to ask ourselves, especially at Christmas, man, we're celebrating Jesus stepping into a mess. You know, the greatest way you can honor him is to follow him. The greatest way you can celebrate Christmas is to take Christmas to someone else. And this is what he's called us to do. Is hey, listen, don't just celebrate by giving gifts. Don't just celebrate by receiving gifts. Celebrate this by giving your life as a servant to someone who doesn't have anything. So how are you going to celebrate Christmas this year? My prayer for you, my prayer for me, because this is challenging. This is not easy for me. It's easy to stand up here and, and want to be recognized and want to do a good job. It's good to want to do a good job, but man, so many times it can become about me and my personal feeling, and man, I want to do so well. And really it's flesh, it's selwyn, it's success, it's the drive. And I can bring the same kind of worldly drive and success and desire for, for fame and all these things into the church and claim it's godly because it's in the church, and it's not. It's flesh and it's sinful. This is about him. This is about his kingdom. This is about his people and he's called us to lay our lives down that others living in darkness, the most wretched positions, maybe the positions that you think, man, that's in an unsanitary environment. I don't know that I should go into that. Maybe Jesus is calling you to go into that because it's exactly what he did for us. Man, I don't want to go step in that situation because those people are not like me. They, they, their lives are so messed up. I'd rather minister to the people here that are a little bit more easier to minister to, maybe people that aren't so dirty because I don't want to get so, hey, listen, we do it. We do it all the time. There are people that we avoid because they're just too dirty. They're just too far gone. Their lifestyles are just too, too, too strange, too horrific. Yet what we see in Jesus, that's exactly where he goes. That's exactly where he serves. That's exactly where he loves. 
So what do we do with Christmas? We can clean it up. We can put our manger scenes out there. It's a lot better when it's cleaner. We can scrape all the manure out of the, out of the courtyard, pretend it wasn't there. I mean, this is the reality, guys. There are probably animal feces all over the place and flies, all kinds of things. We can clean it all up, make it all pretty. And go, man, this is now the kind of Christmas I want to celebrate. We can decorate with lights, and I love lights because light, light up the darkness. But the reality, if we really want to celebrate Christmas, and we really want to honor Jesus and what he did, then we honor it not with the gifts that we give each other, not by the cards with the nice scripture verses that we put on there. We honor Jesus and we celebrate Christmas by what we do with our lives. He says, those who follow me will be where I am. Are you willing to go where he is? That's a tough one. But are you willing to go where he is? Will you stand on your feet this morning? Lord Jesus, we just come before you this morning, and God, we're challenged by this. This is not easy for us, Lord God. We're challenged, and and sometimes we can just sit here and feel so uncomfortable and go, man, this is not really a Christmas message, and this isn't really what I want. I don't get to leave now with warm and fuzzies, and, 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 and God, this isn't what I heard. But God, if we didn't hear this message, if this message wasn't true, we wouldn't be here. It's because of this message, it's because of your life that we get to sit here because you stepped into our messiness. You were willing to go where no one else would go. You were willing to do what no one else would do. You were willing to die for us when no one else would die. You who were perfect, you who are the king of kings, you stepped into our mess and you gave our lives. And God, we are here with joy and peace and assurance of of a future and victory with you, Lord Jesus, because you were willing to do this. And I pray, Lord God, that you would just implant that passion inside of our hearts. God, that this season, this year, Lord Jesus, you would be born afresh and anew in our souls and our spirits, Lord God, and that we would have a drive and a passion to lay down our lives, Lord God. God, for some of us in this place, Lord Jesus, maybe we become too important. And I ask you, Lord God, to forgive us for that. Maybe we've let titles get to our heads or position or experience, whatever it may be, Lord Jesus. And we just pray that you would forgive us, Lord God, because you never let that get in the way of you. God, I pray that you'd give us a servant's heart. I pray, Lord Jesus, as we lay down our lives for other people, Lord Jesus, that they would really experience the real gift of Christmas, and that is you, Lord Jesus, your life and your joy and your peace and your presence, Lord God. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that there would never be a task that was too beneath us. There would never be a person that was too dirty for us. There would never be a lifestyle that we wouldn't even go to to penetrate the darkness, Lord God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd open our eyes and see where you are. That we can truly be where you are. God, I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, for so many people who serve, Lord God. In so many thankless positions, Lord God, they're not being honored and not being recognized, and not being pulled out in front of people, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord God, for so many men and women who have given their lives, Lord God, over the years to bring this message of life, Lord God. We are here in this place this morning because men and women gave their lives. 
and they served and they spoke and they spoke life into people, Lord Jesus. And so we thank you for their lives, oh God, because somebody years before us got and understood the message. Somebody years before us, Lord Jesus, went where you went and followed after you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the courage to do that too. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Roy to put some music on, and we're going to open these altars. If you need time to pray, or if you are sick, we want to make sure that we have time to pray with you. We want to invite you downstairs to come and join us for the brunch and fellowship. We love you guys, and I look forward to seeing you downstairs. God bless.